Well, good morning and happy Easter, ZPC. It is good to be here with you on this Easter day, both those of you who are here today and those of you who are at home. And we, of course, are looking forward uh, to our 11 o'clock outside as well. What a beautiful day it is today. And I have to say, I was thinking about this just a short while ago, how last Easter it was just me and Ted Coates and a camera. Uh, you guys are so much more enjoyable than just Ted Coates. I love you, Ted. I don't mean that meanly, but it is good to be here with you all, to be able to see living people, to be able to hear you respond as you did uh, when Elia said he is risen, to hear you say, what a blessing that is on this day and after this year. And so I am so excited to be able to be here with you all and today we're going to take a look at uh, Luke's uh, telling of that Easter day some 2,000 years ago. And so I invite you to hear these words from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. Luke writes this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you on this glorious day, and we are reminded of your resurrection. We are reminded what your death and your new life have provided for us and for this world. So we pray that you would help us to hear these words afresh. I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. You know, I have to tell you that pretty much every year when I sit down and begin to look at the Easter story once again to start preparing for this particular sermon, I'm pretty sure just about every year I am surprised by the story. 
I'm surprised by just how surprised and perplexed and how chaotic and how unpredictable it seemed and how disorganized that very first Easter was. I almost think that every year we come together, we celebrate Easter, and then we do everything we can in the following year to forget just how surprising and wild that very first Easter actually was. In theory, we understand, surely, it's an outlandish thing. Surely, it's a, it's a surprising thing to have someone be raised from the dead. And yet, I find that most of us do what we can to try in one way or another to tame the resurrection. Have you ever thought about what a bizarre juxtaposition it is that on the very day when we are celebrating what is surely the most upheavaled of days, the most surprising and chaotic of days ever known, is the exact same day that we in the church try to make things even more formal than we are at any other time of the year? Have you ever thought about this day when we are talking about this amazing, this surprising, this unclean, this messy day of the original Easter is the same day that most of us or many of us put on a tie for the first time all year? How it's the same day that we go out and we have a nice meal. This was always one of the very few days that in the deck household we'd bring out the fine china. That even here at ZPC, it tends to be one of the only days where we bring in a trumpet or an upright bass, and we've even at times rented an organ. That on this day, when we celebrate the chaotic original Easter, we try to counterbalance that, it seems, by having the most buttoned up and formal of services and Easter's. Have you ever thought about how strange that is? One of the things that happens is that every single time that we gather together on Easter Sunday, we should be surprised by the resurrection. And it should be a reminder to us that there is something new for us to discover about ourselves and about the risen Savior because of Easter. Now, let me be honest, we pastors are are very much of the same ilk. We do everything that we can as well to try to tame Easter. Uh, several weeks ago on the way into worship, I was there with my eldest daughter, my 11-year-old, and she was asking me the question, well, when is Easter? How do we know when Easter was? And is it always, she thought, as many do, you know, is it the first Sunday of April? Is it the last Sunday of March? And I said, oh, if only... And I began to bemoan to her how unpredictable it seems and inconsistent Easter is. You know when it is. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon after equinox. No pastor came up with that date. I can promise you that. It is really hard to plan for because every single year we as a staff, we have to get together and the question is always, well, is it an early Easter or is it a late Easter? An even more important question, is it a spring break 
Easter. Followed up then immediately with, is it the first weekend of spring break or the second weekend of spring break? Because if, as it is this year, it is the first weekend of spring break, then everything changes. All of our Easter changes depending upon when it is. And as I was sitting there thinking about this and having this conversation and complaining about how horrible it is, and why don't we just come up with one very predictable day in which we know Easter is every single year, I never was struck the whole conversation with the irony that I was complaining about how unclean, about how untidy Easter celebration is. All of us, it seems, would prefer to try to keep Easter buttoned up, predictable, clean, easy. But every single year, we are intruded by this Easter story that reminds us that that first Easter day was anything but unsurprising, anything but predictable I mean, think about these early followers of Jesus. The good news is they were really much like us. They were expecting the expected, not the unexpected. They were preparing for what they thought was the predictable. Those women, they had spent time, Luke tells us, preparing the spices for what they were certain was going to be a dead Jesus. And so they went to the tomb where they expected to see the dead Jesus. And when they got to the tomb, they noticed that the stone was rolled away. The first indication that this day was not going to be like every other day that the world has known. And so Luke tells us they were perplexed. Then two dazzling men we are told show up and when the women see them they bow down their heads to the ground perhaps they did this out of a sense of reverence but something tells me that they also did it because they simply did not want to look and to see what unexpected thing was going to happen next. It's kind of like when you watch a suspenseful movie and you sit there and as you watch, you kind of keep your eyes and maybe every once in a while you peek. But none of us want to be surprised. None of us want to watch something that we don't know for sure what is going to happen. And so they are buried down. Their heads are buried in the ground. So far, Easter is no fun to them. And then the two dazzling men say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Don't you remember what Jesus said? I love what these two dazzling men do next because maybe if you're like me, it's something that you've relived or you've done many times, which is when someone, let's say a spouse or or a child or a friend forgets that you have told them something, but you know that you have told them? Have you ever done this? And, and so you try to relive the exact moment when you told them? And you say, no, 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 don't you remember? I was sitting right here, and, and you were sitting right over there. Do you remember we had just gotten done eating a ham and cheese and, and, and pickle sandwich on wheat bread? And, and, and one of the kids had just come in to say, hey, can we watch TV? We said, no, not yet. And then I said to you, I'm going to be out of town next week 
Do you, do you remember? Have you ever done that? You try to keep giving details because you think, well, if I just keep reminding them exactly the situation, then it will finally dawn on them. That's what these two dazzling men do. They say, don't you remember what Jesus said in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered to sinners and would be crucified and on the third day he would rise again and at that moment we're told the women remember but not until then and they remember what Jesus said and so then they say oh my goodness and so they run back to tell the disciples who were gathered together I love this too because, again, it's something that we tend to do when someone doesn't remember something. And I think the disciples, again, didn't remember what Jesus said. And so what they do is they keep repeating themselves. In the Greek, it's in the imperative, which means that they just kept doing it. They kept trying to say, no, 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 really, this is what happened. No, 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 really, don't you remember? This is what Jesus said. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? But the disciples, we are told, thought it was an idle tale. They didn't believe the women. There are many different theories on why they didn't believe the women. Perhaps, as some have suggested, it's because women in that day and age weren't listened to very well. And certainly, that is a distinct possibility. But I also have a sneaking suspicion that a part of the reason why they didn't remember this is because those sorts of things just don't happen. The dead tend to stay dead. And so that very first Sunday, that very first Easter, the resurrection was a surprise to them. And in many, many ways, the resurrection should also be a surprise to us. Because every year, I am convinced there is something new that the story of Easter has to say to us. I'm not exactly sure why this particular year, what Easter had to say, to me at least, uh, stood out so clearly. Maybe it's because we've had a year of death, a year of much destruction, a year of changed plans, a year of pain. But the line that kept coming up to me again and again as I was looking at this particular story was that question that the two dazzling men said to the women who had gathered around that tomb. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, this can mean a lot of things. You could take this in a lot of different directions, but it certainly seems to me that as followers of Jesus, one of the many ways that we look for the living among the dead is anytime we look to anything and think that it if it isn't the resurrected Savior, is going to give us true life, true meaning, true 
hope and true purpose. That no matter how good something may be, as soon as we raise it up to replace the resurrected Savior, you can be certain that you are putting a tomb around that thing, no matter how good it may seem. But the problem is, is that tombs are much like sirens. They are incredibly attractive, especially at first. They offer usually life, but they can never deliver on that promise. And the truth is that all of us have carefully crafted tombs. Each of us have a tomb that speaks to us, that allures us. Each of us has something that we are drawn to because it becomes for us some comfortable crypt or some seductive sepulcher, some captivating catacomb. You can call it whatever you want. But they are tombs in which we begin to find ourselves and often don't even realize that we are deep within its recesses until something happens or until someone says to us in one way or another, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I'll tell you what got me to thinking about this, and I realize this seems like a strange Example, but I'm going to run with it anyways. It came out of a conversation that I heard uh, Anne Lamott having about Easter. And as she began to talk about Easter, she brought up the story of her many years previous when she was with her best friend. They were in their late 30s. Her best friend had been stricken with cancer and, in fact, only had a few weeks to live. And they decided to go out shopping for some reason, that that would be a good thing to do. So they went out shopping. Her friend was in a wheelchair and had a wig on. And Anne Lamott uh, was trying on some clothes, and so she tried on some pants. And she came out, and she asked her friend, do these pants make my hips look big? Now, honestly, this is a fairly common kind of question. It's fairly ordinary. There are many of us who ask questions like that. Is this looking too snug? Can I? Usually Meg says, just do a couple knee bends, Jerry. You'll be fine. And yet it's a remarkably hollow question. Juxtaposed against someone whose death and resurrection is so close. So her friend looked at her and said, Anne, you don't have that kind of time. In other words, from one who was about to go into death and resurrection, she could look at Anne and she could say, Anne, you don't have that kind of time to stay in that tomb. In other words, Anne was saying, or she was saying, Anne, why Are you looking for the living among the dead? 
I realize, again, this seems kind of strange to bring this up right now, but I got to tell you, as I was thinking about it, as I hear lots of stories, as I pay attention to things, one of the things I know is that the simple thing like a mirror can oftentimes become a tomb to us. We begin to get all into wondering whether or not do we look good enough? Do we, how do we look to others? And, and, and if only we could just get to the right size, if only we could get to just the right belt loop, then, then things will matter. Then we'll have life. Then we'll be important. And we spend all of this inordinate amount of energy and time and money in front of this mirror of a tomb. When we could instead be spending all of that money, all of that energy, all of that time asking where the resurrected Savior would long to take us. Or what about those of us who think we will find life if we get into that right college, if we get into that right job, if we get that correct promotion then things will be good and yes to be sure there are those who suffer around us as we follow those things but we either don't pay attention or we try to tell ourselves at some point it will be worth it and then years and oftentimes not until decades later we look back and we realize that while we thought we were building a career we were actually building a crypt and when we look around inside of that tomb, what we realize is that there are scattered and broken relationships all around us. Those we have left behind or those we have pushed aside because we thought surely if we just get to that next step, surely we will find life. We have been looking for the living among the dead Or maybe it's something that you have done in the past. We all have something. Most of us have some things. And we live with regret. We know that whatever it is that we have done has caused pain. Sometimes what seems like irreparable harm. And we begin to think if we could just flog ourselves enough. If we could just say we're sorry enough, if we can just do enough good things, then everything would be healed. Then we could forgive ourselves. Then others could forgive us. Then God could forgive us. And so we do everything we can to try to dig ourselves out of the hole of our sin and our brokenness. And the whole while what we don't realize is that we are simply digging our own grave. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying to us, I've already been in that tomb and I'm calling you out of that place there is a tomb at every turn there is a crypt at every corner it might be a tomb of politics that promises that if everyone that you want gets in the right position then everything is going to make sense then the world is going to be going smoothly and yet if by chance that actually happens and I've seen people in DC who have hoped that this would be the case and then walked away unfulfilled in realizing that it never turned out nearly as beautiful as they had imagined it others of us have tombs of cynicism which gives lots of life at first because it makes you feel like you're just a little bit smarter than everybody else. 
And yet the longer you watch those who are caught up in tombs of cynicism, the longer you begin to see it only leads to more cynicism, to more isolation, and to more death. Some of us are in tombs of anxiety or fear. Maybe there's something going on physically within us. Maybe we're anxious about what's going on in the world. And we keep thinking that if we bury ourselves deeper into the internet, that somehow miraculously we will come out of that and we will have hope and peace. And it never happens. What we begin to see is we are simply getting buried deeper and deeper into our own carved crypts. Or the tomb of parenting. tomb that tells us that we must give all of our children every single opportunity that could ever come their way. That we must reprioritize everything around them. That that is going to be what brings them and brings us life. And then we wonder why we are continually scared to death. That they won't turn out as we had so well orchestrated or that we are messing them up in some way or another. And we keep looking for life and for the living among the dead. If you pay attention, you will look around you and you will begin to see that there are tombs that are all around us, tombs that are full of people who are digging and digging and digging in hopes that what they are doing is finding purpose and meaning and hope and life, but all they are finding is their own tombs. But it is on Easter when we are reminded that there is a tomb that has no one inside of it. And the reason is because the one who was there has been raised from the dead. On Easter Sunday, we are reminded that there is one tomb that has no one inside of it. And the person who was inside of that tomb could not be contained by our desire to control, by our sin or our brokenness. There is one tomb who has no one inside of it. And the one who was inside of it has refused to allow any tomb to keep him contained. Uno has decided that he is going to get outside of that outside, bust out of that tomb and bust into every tomb that we may have. Tombs of fear, tombs of anxiety, tombs of sin, tombs of brokenness, tombs of cynicism, tombs of insecurity, tomb any kind of death that we continue to heap on us because we think that surely it will bring us life. And on Easter Sunday, we are reminded that Jesus Christ himself has taken the stone that is over our tomb and has cast it aside and has let the light of the world, the light of God go in and shine into those dark places and is asking us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Good God Almighty is saying to us, why are you looking for the living among the dead? We are desperate, it seems, to try to make this world be all that there is. And yet Jesus on Easter reminds us that there is only one way to life, and that is through the resurrected Savior.
And on this Easter Sunday, we are asked to remember, just as those women were some 2,000 years ago, that you will never find life if you are looking for the living among the dead. That you will never find life when you are trying to put anything in place of the resurrected Savior. So that whether or not this is your first Easter or whether it is your 90th Easter, Jesus is speaking to you even now and is telling you that there is no living among the dead. And he is asking whether or not you have the courage to take his hand and to be led out into a resurrected world. On this day, the Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is reminding us that we serve a God who said that the tomb, who said that death does not have the last word. We serve a God who says that he will turn graves into gardens. We serve a God who says, as he does in Psalms, that he will turn mourning into dancing. We serve a God who says death does not have the last word. And no matter how many tombs may surround you, no matter how deep of a tomb you may be in right now, that I am here to tell you that there is life There is hope. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus says to each and every one of us. So that on this day, when we repeat those words, he is risen, and you say, he is risen indeed. What you begin to experience is that the risen Lord is calling you out of whatever tomb it may be you find yourselves even this day. Sisters and brothers in Christ, he is risen. Hallelujah. Happy Easter. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. You are risen. You are risen indeed, Lord. And we do not know why so often we long to look for the living among the dead. But what we know, Lord, is that you are no longer in the tomb. And God, if we have lost our surprise, I pray that you would rejuvenate within us that surprise of knowing that he who was in the tomb is no longer there. That we will understand the life and the freedom and the breath and the hope that comes from knowing that you have freed us from the depths and the death of despair. For your glory, And for your glory alone. Amen.